Genesis 14. Started looking at this passage uh, the last time I was here. Last time we were, uh, you know, it was my turn. And uh, we're going to finish the chapter. We're going to read from verse 17 to the end. Pauline said to me this morning, she said, I expect you were preaching on fathers of some kind. And I can speak because I never give fathers a thought when I was preparing. And then David phoned me this morning to wish me happy Father's Day. He said, what are you preaching on? And I told him, he said, that's not very catchy. <laughs> so, but I, don't, I think I'm on safe ground when I talk about Abraham, because we call him Father Abraham, do we? <laughs> so every time you, know, you hear the word Abraham, think of Father. And, uh, and I have got um, a, a little verse as well to sum up what I'm going to say, which would be a little bit easier to understand when, than the reading. 17 to 24. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of uh, Cheddar Alama and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God, Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God, Most High the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will only take anything, and I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich, except only what the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men who went with me, Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion also. You know, there's sort of the verse that I'd like us to think about uh, when, we, when we're going through the ministry this morning. It's found in Romans chapter 8. I'll just, I'll just read it. Uh, yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want us to understand this morning that we as Christians, uh, following the Lord, having been born again, having been filled with the Spirit, we as Christians are probably the most confused people on the planet. We are living on the earth, and yet our citizenship is in heaven. We are seated in heavenly places, and yet our feet are stuck fast to the ground. We are utterly perfect in God's sight, 
And yet our lifestyles would tell us differently. We have eternal life. And yet death stalks each one of us. We are in Christ. And yet we can't see him. We have been delivered from the power of sin. And yet we fall into it so readily. You know when I think about what I am in Christ. Um, what I am in Christ and what I am in the world. I'm going to sit down sometimes and try to work it out. Because there's a, such a difference between what God sees and what I see. You know, there seems to be um, something going on that's beyond my comprehension. And I have to sit down and try to unscramble my brain if I'm going to get anywhere with it at all. You know, there are two words that would sum us up as Christians and sum up what I've actually said. <coughs> there is the word actual and there is the word real. Actual and real. Our reality, that what's real about us, is the position that God himself sees us and how God treats us. You know, he, is, he sees us as the finished article. He sees us as seated in heavenly places. He sees us as in his presence. Everything is complete as far as God is concerned. Listen to what he says in Romans 8 again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, having been justified by faith, God treats us as if we never sinned. God treats us as if we don't sin. And therefore, never condemns us. Because all of our sin was laid upon Christ. All of our sin was condemned upon Christ. Judged upon Christ. And now, you and I are free to enjoy His presence this morning. You see, if He doesn't treat us as so, if He didn't treat us as perfect, if He didn't treat us as sinless, then He would have to withdraw from us this morning. You know, we've talked a lot and we've sung a lot this morning about being in the presence of God. You see, sin cannot exist in the presence of God. And yet, as, as, yet so, as He looks at us, there is no sin. And that's how He treats us. Now that's beyond my comprehension. I can't understand that except for the fact that when He looks at us, He sees Jesus and sees what He accomplished for us. It's the only reality or the only way that we can understand reality. You see, our reality exists in what God has done for us. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 8. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And this is the bit, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now that isn't actually true. But it is really true. I hope you can understand the difference between what's actually true and what's really true. I'm living in this world. I'm suffering under sin sometimes. I fall and fail. My feet are planted on the ground. And yet, that's my actual lifestyle. 
But my real lifestyle is in Christ. Hidden in Christ. In God. Having become more than conquerors. Being blessed with his presence. Indwelt by his spirit. That's the reality of me. So that is, as a Christian, we have an actual life which we live out before others. And we have a real life that we live out before God. Now on the other hand, we have actuality. That is, we are still in the world. Still in the, still in the flesh. Still useless in trying to be what God wants us to be. Still prone to sin. Still fail in the things that we do. Now here's the problem. God says one thing. My senses say something totally different. You know, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't feel sinless. You? I don't feel sinless. I don't feel victorious. I don't feel complete. But the good news this morning is God says I am. You know, and that is the most important thing of all. It's not how we see ourselves. It's how God sees us. It's not what we state for ourselves. It's what God states for us. It's not where we, where we stand in and of ourselves. It is where God has placed us. Now therefore, as a child of God, this morning, we have a choice as to which door we should take. You see, I am brought into um, contact with my lifestyle, my actual lifestyle, by my senses. As I said, I don't feel like I'm sinless. I don't feel complete. I don't feel victorious. I don't feel as if I'm in heavenly places. I don't feel any of those things. So my lifestyle, I'm brought into that actual lifestyle by my senses. But the reality I'm brought into contact with reality by faith. You know, and as we know, Abraham is the father of faith. And therefore we have a choice. Am I living my life by faith and seeing things through God's eyes? Or am I living my life through common sense and seeing myself through my eyes? You know, that's the the problem that the Christian has every moment of every day because we know that we live in a world that militates against the gospel you know if you've uh, read the bulletin this morning um, I don't know if you read the, the article that that man wrote in the Daily Mirror uh, a week or two ago but he was scathing in his attack upon Christianity making us out to be hypocrites and failures and things like that. And the whole of society is geared up to make Christians feel like that. You know, only this week we saw uh, our man can walk into a church and, and just demolish uh, a whole Bible study uh, within a, just a few moments. You know, people hate Christ. And they militate against his body. And therefore as we walk, you know, we have the flesh to contend with. Because we know that we are weak in so many areas of our life. And we never reach the standard that we want to reach. Let alone what God would have us to reach. You know, and that's bearing in on us. You know, and it could confuse us. It could destroy us. could depress us. But we're not living up to the mark. We're not being what we should be. 
How could we ever think that we are Christians when we do this or say that or go there or refrain from doing that? And then, by faith, God says, yeah, but you're a child of mine. You're my son. I've cleansed you. I've taken away your sins. I've placed you in a higher realm. I've adopted into, into, you into my family. I am preparing a place for you. You have a destiny that is beyond all your wildest dreams. Now where do we go? How do we live? Do we live in this mediocre lifestyle that this world would try to force on us and our own flesh would try to force on us? Or do we live more than conquerors through Christ who loves us? That's the question. That's what this battle uh, says uh, and shows to us where Abraham was going. Reality or common sense? Senses or faith? Now last time we talked about a war. Remember I sang a song uh, about, about war. And um, especially the ones that we have to fight on a daily basis, which is what I have just uh, been talking about. Some, we win. Now Abraham won this fight. He won this fight. And some, we win. No, and um, we use a term very often in, in Christian circles about God and what he does in us and through us. God does great things in us. You know, that is the victories that concern our own personal walk with God. Sometimes we do overcome. You know, we strap on the, uh, the armour of uh, the armor of God and we, we quench the, the fiery darts of the evil one. Temptations we ride roughshod over. You know, we move on in God and everything's wonderful. We are victorious in and of ourselves. We think that we've arrived, achieved. There are times when we actually win the battle. He does things in us. But then he does things through us. You know, and there are times in our, in our life that we have testified of his goodness and his mercy. We've talked to our workmates. You know, we witness to people. We've stood up and preached the gospel in certain places. We have victory over sin. We have um, given the gospel to the unbeliever. We've led someone to Christ. God has done things through us. These are great victories. Whether in us, in our own personal life, or through us, as we minister to others, they are great victories. And our lives are littered with such amazing events. But then we come to this problem of who gets the accolade when we are victorious who, become, who becomes the person who receives the praise well of course it's me I've got the victory I've overcome that sin I've withstood that temptation I've read the scriptures every day this week I've prayed for four hours every night this week I've done this and I've done that I have stayed focused I have kept the faith I have bit the bullet and spoken up. I have turned my back on temptation. I was used for this and for that. You know, and the whole focus is upon me. I won the battle. I won the battle. But you know, as you read this passage, you get the feeling that Abraham has somehow turned a corner. 
You've been looking at him now for uh, quite a number of Sunday mornings, and um, he has failed quite a lot in the things that he has done. But you feel that in this passage of Scripture, he's turned the corner. You get the feeling. He's just won a battle, an amazing battle. He's rescued Lot from the enemy. He's got back all the stuff that Sodom had lost. No, he's gone out to a trained men, born in his own household, who've gone out and defeated the enemy. And here he is with all the spoils of war around him. But you get the feeling that all these victories that he enjoys were not his, but they were God's. They were God's victory. You know that each victory was God accomplishing something in him. Something through him. God was doing it. Not him. God was accomplishing. You know, I said last time that these battles produce things in us. Character, perseverance, holiness. You know, and each victory is God accomplishing something wonderful in us. Making us more like him. Changing us every day into his image. Renewing our mind through the reading of his word. Making us more like Jesus than ever before. You know with Abraham there was no, look what I've done. Look at my, how my strategy has worked. Look how my men have fought. Look how I've outflanked the enemy. Look how I've ru ru rode roughshod over uh, his armies. No there was none of that with Abraham he's gone that, that Abraham has gone somehow it's not look what I've done but notice in that scripture he worshipped the Lord he thanked the Lord he praised the Lord no or uh, in the words of the psalmist or sing to the Lord he says a new song for he has done marvellous things his right hand and his holy hand have gained him the victory where does the accolades go? Is it me who's doing it? Is it me who's living the life? Is it me that's overcoming? Is it me that's reaching the standard? Is it me that's reaching the lost? No, says uh, the psalmist. His right hand and his holy hand has gained the victory. Or with Paul we could say those wonderful words from Corinthians. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gets the accolades? It's God who gets the accolades. Because it's his victory. Because he fights the battles. Because he produces within us the grace to, to be what he wants us to be. You know, we seem to be obsessed in the world today with award ceremonies we have the Oscars the BAFTAs the Nobel Prizes the Pulitzers the Emmys the Grammys to name uh, just a few you know and whatever the, the, um, the prize or the award the honour goes to the victorious one the one who wins tonight the Oscar goes to you know, and there is this amazing volume of applause as this one person or this group of people stand up and take the bow and take the praise as they walk to the podium and tell the people. And the focus 
is entirely upon them. They head and shoulders above everyone else. The camera goes from their rivals and fixes on them. Only to go back to their rivals to see their faces so miserable and green with envy. And here they are, bouncing about on the stage, hugging each other. We've won! We are victorious! And here they are, head and shoulders above everyone else, center of attraction, the focal point of the whole event. You and Abraham, did he deserve that? Of course he did. You know, it's, it's his army that went out and destroyed the enemy. He stands, as I said, with the spoils of war around him. You know, the kings that he had defeated, you know, subject to him. And here he is, head and shoulders above them all. The center of attraction, the focal point of the whole event. But then someone comes, someone comes, someone comes and towers over him. Someone comes and dwarfs him in the process. His name is Melchizedek. This is a beautiful uh, picture of God meeting man. We've dealt with it, uh, you know, comprehensively, of course, in in our studies of Hebrews as we spend quite a number of Thursday nights looking at his identity the identity of Melchizedek who he is, where he comes from where he's gone you know we answered all those questions a number of uh, years ago as we studied Hebrews but what he is for us is a type of Christ a type of Christ Abraham the victor Abraham the celebrity Abraham, the big guy. And yet here comes Christ. Here comes Christ. And Abraham knows his place. Why? Because here is one who has come from the invisible, timeless expanse of eternity past. Here is one who belongs to the amazing, timeless expanse of eternity future. Says he is high priest forever. You know, and in this scene we see Melchizedek representing the incarnate God, representing Christ, while Abraham represents me and represents you. This is a meeting between the children of God and their Heavenly Father. You know, and as I said earlier, Abraham represents the life of faith. The life of faith. You see, faith brings us into contact with God. That's the beauty of faith. You know, when we walk the world, we don't, we're not in contact with God. But our faith brings us into reality. And in reality, there is God. This morning, we're in reality. God is here. God is here. You know, some of you might come in and think, we're talking a load of nonsense. God isn't here. But I'm talking about faith. God is here by faith. Faith brings us into contact with God. And what Abraham does here for us is to show the protocol of such a meeting. How do we react in the presence of God? How do we, what do we do? You know, I talked on Thursday night about meeting with God and how sort of foreboding the actual event would be. I talked about the people who um, are, are, are dubbed by the Queen 
you know, and awarded honours, another award of honours of the Queen, and how in fear and trepidation they walk up to Her Majesty with all these questions. What if I trip? What if I cough? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I faint? You know what, there's all these what-ifs when we meet with Her Majesty. What's he meeting with His Majesty? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How? How do we cope? You know what, we can see here again. We praised God in our first point because He has done amazing things for us. But here, it's worship because we're meeting with Him. He's there. We're in His presence. You know, the only thing that we can do is fall upon our face and worship Him and maintain a stance of worship because He is the one who deserves our worship. Because not only is He the one who has done things in us and through us, but He is the one. He's God. You want whatever he has done or not done, he deserves our worship. And Abraham, knowing his place, worships not Melchizedek in this sense because Melchizedek was but a man. But he represents God, and here is Abraham worshiping God. This is what he says in verse 22. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth worship praise for what he does worship for who he is no but we are living in an actual world no we got we got things to do tomorrow no we can't stand around worshiping god all out all the no people would say well you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good no they got a family got a family to provide for You've got people to care for. You've got places to go. Being worshipful is difficult. It's difficult to keep up and maintain. You know, it's easy when we're in a place like this. You know, as you come around the table of the Lord, it's so easy to worship the Lord, to sing His praises. You know, when we hear um, the, the ministry of God's Word or the preaching or the reading of God's Word, it's easy to worship the Lord because... That's what we hear, singing and praying and hearing the word of God is brings us into contact with God actually. But what about tomorrow? What about in work? What about at home? It's so difficult, difficult to keep focused. So there must be a contention. We have to contend. There's a battle going on all the time. You know what? All the time God wants us to put on the new mind. Renew our mind in the things of God. Put off the old man by deliberate acts of faith. Bring in his life to bear upon ours and those around about us. Trusting in his amazing sacrifice of Christ as represented you in the bread and in the wine that Melchizedek so graciously holds in his hands as he offers it to Abraham. You know, this morning, we have been in such a time as we can be refreshed. We've partaken of these emblems. The same as Abraham did those thousands of years ago, as Melchizedek offered in the bread 
and the wine. So this morning we've done exactly the same thing. As he was refreshed way back there, we've been refreshed in the spirit this morning. You know, we've once again thought about Jesus. We once again worshipped him for who he is. We once again praised him for the victory that he has put into our lives through the sacrifice of himself upon the cross. We've been refreshed. We've partaken. You know what? It's not so much the physical elements. I don't know about you, but the bread and the wine um, don't physically refresh me. But spiritually, they are something else. Spiritually, they show us so much of what God has done for us because there are spiritual implications as we partake of these emblems. Our life, our spiritual being, our eternal destiny, our position in Christ depend entirely upon this one single solitary sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf, on behalf of our sins. You know, our reality tells us that we are completing Christ because of this sacrifice. But our actuality drives us to be what Jesus would have us to be in the circumstances of life as they come along. You see, we, our desire, our drive is to be like Jesus. Do you know that has already been accomplished in reality? When God sees us, He sees Jesus. But why are we here? What are we doing with ourselves when we are trying to be like Jesus? So that our actual life resembles our real life. You know, I said many, many years ago that um, God sees us as spiritually mature, complete, seated in heavenly places. And one day, our body is going to catch up. Our body is going to catch up. And, you know, together, we're going to be in eternity with Christ. And that's what this message is about this morning. It's about living the life that God has given us here, striving to be like the person he sees that we really are. You know, it's not so much, you know, when I got a downer on, as you know, on the, um, the phrase, what would Jesus do? These bangles that people wear, what would Jesus do? It's not so much, what would Jesus do? That's not the point. Jesus isn't here. We are. The point is, what would Jesus have me do? That's the important thing. What would Jesus have me do? He isn't here because we are here. And he has sent us into this place to be like him and be an example to others. So that in the circumstances that come our way, we can reveal him. You know, and that's why I said on Sunday night that we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to stir us up, to empower us, to embolden us, to equip us to be the example of Jesus to a lost world. You know, Abraham finishes this chapter very strongly indeed. He is the victor. And the spoils are at his disposal. The king of Sodom... You know, and if you can remember the story, Sodom was captured by these, this uh, confederate, confederation of kings. And they stole everything. They took the people, stole all his goods. You know, and Sodom asked Abraham to help. Abraham went out and defeated all these kings. And the king of Sodom, very sheepishly, asks Abraham for his people back. 
because now they were his spoils. And all the, pre- all the stuff that they had pinched off Sodom was now Abraham's. He'd won it. He'd won it. He was in control of this whole situation. And here Sodom, that he, the king of Sodom, that he sheepishly asked for his people back. But he says, you can keep the stuff. All I want is my people. What a place to be in. It was all his stuff. All these people. He could have slaves galore. He could have wealth galore. Now if you cast our minds back a few Sunday mornings to the time when Abraham was down in Egypt and he told Pharaoh that his wife was his sister and Pharaoh lavished on him all these wonderful gifts to keep him sweet and Abraham gathered them all in and if you remember among them was a woman called Agar who became the thorn in his flesh he gathered them all in we see but here we can see that Abraham has changed because he waves his rights he waves his rights you want the spoil you keep it the people you have them back why because now he's living a life of faith he doesn't trust in the spoils of war doesn't trust in the accolades of man doesn't trust in his own wisdom and prowess but he's beginning to trust in the almighty God the one who makes him more than conqueror through Jesus Christ no his life of faith is beginning to blossom we see in now the person that we expect to see when we think of Abraham you know he's turned up in Hebrews 11 for goodness sake he is the father of faith he's held up as the father of the faithful he's held up as the example of how you and I should live our lives by faith you know up until now we've seen very little of it but now this battle has brought him on a step and he's beginning to blossom you see with God we don't need what the world is willing to give us we don't need anything from anyone why? well because we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll who is he? his name is Jesus he is our all in all we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us we don't need the fads and fashions of the world the gifts of the world the accolades of the world all we need in life is Jesus you know living the life the living the life of faith I suppose in one way as we come to a close it could be a lonely one because there's very few people who want to join us very few people will want to join us you know when exhibited properly it acknowledges that God is involved at the very core of our lives it is he that is our influence it is he that is our example and because of that it is he who gets the accolades who gets the praise and gets the worship it is he who has made the way possible and it is to him we look for the sustenance to walk it yes it's not about Abraham and it's not about me it's about Jesus 
It's about Jesus. You know, when we look to Him, and in our hearts, we want to be like Him, then we will, in the, in the way that we've talked about, bring our actual, our normal everyday life, into focus with our real, real, the fact that God has done so many things for us. I hope we've been able to understand uh, what I've been saying this morning, because I think it's wonderful what God has done for us. What he, how he has empowered us. How he has transformed us. And how he is transforming us. To be like his son. So that when we meet him. We shall see him. We shall know him. We shall be like him. I pray that each and every one of us. Would live our lives. In the light of our reality. God has blessed us. With every spiritual blessing. In Christ Jesus. In heavenly places. That is our reality. And I pray that we will enjoy it as we live our lives on this earth and allow it to affect us and bring us further on in God. For Jesus' sake. Amen.